0: And we are glad to have you with us today as we kick off a month of Bible teaching uh, about the Christmas story in Scripture. Uh, but we're going to do that today maybe in like uh, any way you've ever heard it before. You know, 24 years ago, uh, this winter, something magical was happening up around the North Pole as, uh, as fall turned to winter and as the snow started to fall and the water started to ice over, uh, there was a group of animals near the North Pole that were beginning to make their trek south. And they weren't reindeer, and they weren't pulling sleigh, and Santa wasn't involved. But there was a group of three whales that had got stuck, if you've heard this story or maybe seen the movie, a group of three gray whales that had got stuck basically under the Arctic ice cap as it started to freeze over. And a group of hunters out near Barrow, Alaska, were out looking one day, and they were hunting on the ice, and they were doing ice fishing, and they noticed that there had been a, a hole created in the ice that these three gray whales, literally every time that it would freeze over, they would punch it with their nose so they could reach up and get air. And so much excitement was created over this that literally uh, every news channel in the world started paying attention. Uh, Russia got involved. America got involved. uh, And what we find out in in a situation called The Big Miracle, in a movie since called The Big Miracle, uh, you literally saw an entire town in Barrow, Alaska in 1988 come together to rescue these three whales as the world watched every night to see whether or not they would be led to safety. Now, why would whales capture the attention of the world in that, in that way? The truth is because the world loves a good rescue story. Uh, The world world loves to sit on uh, the edge of their seat while somebody who seems to be in harm uh, has the possibility of being rescued, whether it's that that, uh, reality that turned into a movie that ended up being a box office hit. Why? Because we like to see things rescued. Whether it's people, perhaps you've seen the the movie recently named Argo, uh, which is a true story about a CIA op to pull uh, American hostages uh, out of the Middle East in, in the late 70s, uh, whether it would be if, if, uh, if, if you remember back in the, the early 90s on TV, there was a television show called Rescue 911, or whether you were a kid in the late 80s and 90s, and you watched a cartoon called Rescue Rangers, uh, we like to see a good rescue. We like to see someone who is in danger get rescued because it makes everyone feel good. Whether it's miners in Chile, being pulled out of a cave that has caved in, or whether it's a cat in a tree and a firefighter is going up to get it, a rescue captures our attention. And as we start the Christmas season at Journey Church International, I want to relay to you maybe what you have never heard before. I believe the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world is Christmas. And when you understand what I, what I call the theology of Christmas. And, and if you have your notes, we handed you some notes and a pen when you came in today so that you could write some things down. Uh, it, it probably looks something like this so you have it and can follow along. You ought to write that phrase down because when you think of what I call the theology of Christmas, you realize that Christmas is the greatest rescue story in the history of the world. Better than rescuing whales. Better than rescuing American hostages hiding in the Canadian embassy. Better than rescue 911. Better than the rescue rangers. Better than rescuing miners in Chile or a cat in a tree. The theology of Christmas tells us that Christmas is the greatest rescue story that's ever been written. Now, for those of you who don't go to church much, and I bet there are some, there are some people in here today who haven't been to church in years, maybe ever. I met someone who came to church last week who said, Christian, I have not been to church for three years years so i understand every time we meet there are people who aren't familiar with with church and christianity so i I use words you may not know so i I just i want to explain myself so you can understand what i mean by theology of christmas the word theology um is is two words it's it's two greek words theos and logos uh and it literally means the knowledge of god that's what theology means anytime you hear someone say what is your theology they're saying this what do you know about god the theology of Christmas is what we can learn about God from Christmas. Uh, I found out an interesting fact this week as I studied for this message this week. Um, do any of you know what, what Christmas means? The, the actual word, how, how the word even came about? Do we, do we have anyone in here today who um, is currently a Catholic or you grew up Catholic or you went to Catholic elementary school or high school? Would you just raise your hands? Do we have any Catholics in the house? Um, the word Christmas is actually two words. We get it from the Catholic Church. Once a year, the Catholic Church used to celebrate the Christ Mass. Um, the Christ Mass. That's where the word Christmas came from. And Mass is a really interesting word. I've gone to Mass. I, I have uh, I've watched it. I have Catholic friends. I, I've been around it, but I never knew what the word meant till this week. Do you know? And maybe, maybe some of our Catholic friends know, but maybe you don't even know. The word Mass is a word that means mission, on mission. Uh, It used to mean dismissal and then it kind of, it it evolved into dismiss with a purpose and it literally means on mission. So every time the Catholics come together, you know, what Protestants call church, they go to mass, they're, they're saying, we're on mission. Literally, the word Christ mass means the mission of the Savior. The word Christ means Savior. So Christmas, just in its wording, Christmas is the mission of the Savior of the world. And the theology of Christmas, what we can know of God through Christmas is that Christmas is the greatest rescue mission that has ever happened. But Christmas doesn't start, believe it or not, with the birth of a baby. Christmas doesn't even start, for those of you who are familiar with uh, the Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament, Christmas doesn't start in Bethlehem. Christmas doesn't start in Israel. Christmas doesn't begin in the New Testament. Christmas doesn't begin in Matthew. Believe it or not, Christmas begins. The story of Christmas in the Bible, the theology of Christmas in the Bible begins in the Garden of Eden, in what the Bible calls paradise. So I I want you to kind of picture Christmas in Hawaii because Christmas began in the most beautiful, tropical, palm tree laden, perfect temperature environment you could ever imagine in your life. There was no snow, there were no reindeer, there was no Santa, there was no baby. There was just a rescue mission that needed to happen. And if you have your Bibles, believe it or not, I want to ask you to turn to the book of Genesis in chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles today, as a church we've given away more than 300 Bibles. We love to open our Bibles, read our Bibles at our church. So our ushers come down the aisle each Sunday. And if you don't have a Bible, if you forgot a Bible, if you want a Bible, you can just raise your hand and wave at the ushers, they'll give it to you. If you don't have a Bible, or I say this, if you don't know where your Bible is, put your name in this, this is your Bible. Bring it back with you when you come to church. Take it home and read it. If you just forgot your Bible, but you're interested about hearing how, how uh, Christmas connects to the Garden of Eden today, just wave at the ushers, they'll give you a Bible. You can throw it on the table when you leave. But Christmas, the theology of Christmas, what we know about God from the mission, the rescue mission of our Savior, begins in Genesis chapter 3. And if you're familiar at all with the creation story, the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. He created a man. He created a woman, Adam and Eve. He gave them rules. He came down. It said they used to take a walk every evening together. He would come down and they would walk together, it said, in the cool of the evening. You can imagine what those walks were like. God and man living one on one. And God said, Listen, everything that I've created, it's yours. You can have it. He only had one rule for them in the early days there's this tree. Don't eat from that tree. And if you remember the story, um, the Bible says that the serpent came and he tricked Eve and she went to Adam and they disobeyed God and, and life with God was fractured. For the first time ever, life with God was fractured and humanity didn't feel close to God. And God didn't feel close to humanity. And God came down and said, this is a mess. Here's how I'm going to try to fix it. And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 15 we read the very first mention of Christmas in the Bible. You won't hear it the first time through, but I'll, I'll show you where to find it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, "...the man and his wife," that's Adam and Eve, "...heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden." Now, you need. To, if you're here today, you need to underline that. If, you're, if you don't have a pen, if you don't have a Bible, if, you, if you're not taking notes, I, I just want you to listen to this phrase. Because there are some people in our church, there are some people in your family, there are some people in our community who've been hiding from God. They don't want to be near God. They don't want to be connected with God. When they hear church, God, Jesus, Christmas, pray, sing bible they run the other way because they they and god are not close this is where adam and eve were god showed up they went the other way we're going to see how god begins to repair that type of relationship verse nine the lord called to him and said where are you and the man answered i heard you in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked so i hid and he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman that you put here with me, uh, guys, you should write a note here and just say, um, don't blame my wife for stuff. Because this is, the first, this is where Adam goes wrong for the first time. God's like, what'd you do? And he's like, this woman. Um, that it, I, I think things have gone wrong in marriage since then. I mean, just since right then, there's, there's been conflict. He said, what'd you do? And the man said, this woman you put here, she gave me some fruit, I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what'd you do? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. That means conflict. And between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now you didn't hear You didn't hear it but I'm going to show you where Christmas was just introduced to us for the very first time in Scripture, the theology of Christmas, what we can know about God from the rescue mission of the Savior. We enter a story where we have, we have two people that need to be rescued. Have you ever needed to be rescued? Like, have you ever found yourself in a spot you couldn't get out of and you, you had to make that phone call and say, hey, I, I need help? Uh, my last year, uh, I went to school at Liberty University, which is in Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia, but I, I grew up in and lived in southern Ohio, in kind of the sticks of southern Ohio. The little cowboy, um, today, m- my son, um, where I'm from, we, we all talk like what he was acting like he talks like. I mean, w- you know, I, I, I tell people, we grew up with rednecks, we drove trucks, they had rust on them, they had a gun rack in the back, we chewed tobacco, we killed things, and then we ate what we killed. I mean, that's the type of place that we grew up in. This is no lie. You got a week of excused absence during deer hunting season if you had your deer tags at my school. Praise God, sweet home Alabama. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was just that kind of environment. Like, you know, guys would get their kill and they, they'd come to school like in their, in their camo and like they'd have blood on them and, you know, they'd like sit down at the table. And it, this, this was just life where I lived. Um, but on my way home from school, finally after my senior year, my, my wife Danielle and I had been married for less than a year. I had just graduated. We were on our way home. My mom and dad had bought me, when I graduated from high school, a used car, a 1990 Ford Probe that I thought was a race car, and I I just drove it terribly, horribly. And, you know, my mom and dad just thought, well, hopefully it'll get him through college. I mean, it barely got me through college. I was on the way home from Virginia to Ohio. I was driving down the West Virginia Turnpike between Beckley and Charleston on on 77 heading north. Uh, And literally, as I'm going up a hill Danielle's following me in her car. I mean, you, it just sounded like the engine fell out of my car onto the road. I mean, it was like, boom! And the RPMs of my car just went flat, and the speedometer just went flat, and I literally ground to a halt of about like 5 to 7 miles per hour. And I pulled over to the side of the road, and, man, people drive like crazy on the West Virginia Turnpike. You can get on it and just go 90 if, if you dare because there's really no exits on, no exits off. And I told Danielle, my car's broken down, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had the ability to go like 10 miles an hour till we could get to a truck stop on the West Virginia Turnpike where I could call my dad and where I could stay all night. Now, listen, if you've not stayed all night at a truck stop in West Virginia, um, you know, you don't know what I'm talking about. And I've got some friends from West Virginia here today that they know what I'm talking about. If you've not stayed all night at a truck stop in West Virginia, off the West Virginia Turnpike, with your little blonde-headed wife from Johnson County, Kansas, and her Doc Martins and her clothes from Abercrombie. I mean, you know, it's like scary, you know? You're like Abraham going to the Philistine. You're like, listen, just say you're my sister, because like all these guys want to go out with you tonight, like right now. Um, you know, and I, f- I found a payphone. You know, this is in the day before cell phones, and I was like, I called my dad who's here today, and I was like, Dad, like my car, something happened, and I'm stuck in West Virginia, and I need help bring me a car, bring a gun, do something, <laughs> I'm scared. And you know, my dad did what all of our dads who are good dads would do. He rented a little tow haul and the next day he showed up and we put my, my probe on the back of it and we hauled it back and I never drove it again. It, just, you know, it, never, it, it ended up being more to fix, cost more to fix than it, than it was worth. So I ended up selling it for like $200 to some guy who knew how to fix cars one day. But I needed rescue and I had to make a call and say dad like I'm in a situation that I don't know how to get myself out of I need help. That's where we find Adam and Eve I don't know if they were as desperate as I was at that truck stop in West Virginia But they were in a bad place They had had a relationship with God that had been fractured They had no way back home to that relationship with God and God came down and he said what are you doing? And Adam said we like we need help like God we messed up And we're not close to you and we don't feel close to you and like we don't know what to do And in genesis three fifteen, We see the first what I would call rescue verse in the bible. God said i'm gonna fix This separation you didn't cause it You were manipulated by a character that the bible will will later describe as the devil or satan He said you were manipulated, but there's been a fracture here, but I, i'm going to fix this and in Genesis chapter 3.15, here is God's solution. I want you to take your Bibles. If you actually have a Bible, or like it's on your iPhone or your iPad or your tablet, I know we have a lot of people that do this. Figure out how to highlight this verse. If you have a paper Bible, just underline it. Because Genesis 3.15 is one of the, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. It's the first verse of hope in the Bible. God, in, in sorting out what has gone wrong, God is now speaking both to Adam and Eve humanity, and the devil who has messed everything up. And here's his plan. He said, I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put conflict between humanity. Because right now there was conflict between humanity and God. God said, I'm going to put that conflict between humanity and Satan. And he said, between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he, her offspring, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel.'" Now, theologians, people who know God and try to teach others to know God, call this verse, there's a word you should know, like if you, if you like to dig deep into the Bible, there's a word you should know, and the word is, they call Genesis 3.15 the Proto-Evangelium. It's a Latin word. You say, what does it mean? It means the first gospel. Bible scholars will go back and they will say the first place in the Bible that the thought of Jesus is mentioned is Genesis 3.15 proto the first gospel. Now the word gospel, for those of you who are brand new to church, just means good news. So this is the first really good news after everything has gone really bad in the book of Genesis. And here's the good news in Genesis 3.15. God says a baby who is born of a woman is going to end the separation that has now been created between humanity and God This is the first place in the Bible. We haven't even left the Garden of Eden. We're not even an hour into the separation of humanity and God. And God said, here's how I'm going to solve this. A woman one day is going to have a baby. And this baby is going to solve this problem. You see, Christmas is the, the most central event in the history of Scripture. Because a rescue was needed... And this was God's Rescue 911 plan. Now, today I'm just going to teach briefly because our kids have taken so much time, but I'm going to set up what we're going to be learning all month long at church with a message today titled, The Big Rescue. I want to talk to you about what the Bible speaks to Christmas as being a big rescue. And it's interesting because every rescue uh, starts with what I would call in your outlines a search. So a, a big rescue starts with a big search. Um, and what we find as we look through the Bible, the Bible being the the 66 books between Genesis and Revelation, um, what we find out, and, and I want you to hear this today because I believe what we find in the Bible is true in December of 2012. People are searching for a rescue. People are trying to figure out how to save their marriage. People are trying to figure out how to raise kids that love god people are trying to figure out how to get out of the financial mess that they have created people are trying to figure out how to get over the depression and the discouragement that lingers in their life people are trying to figure out how they can be rescued from addictions that maybe they picked up from a dad or a granddad people are trying to figure out how the demons of their past can can be left in the past and they can move up people are searching for a rescue And as we study the Bible and as we begin to study the life of people who interacted with this baby named Jesus who would become the Savior who was on mission, we find out that there are all types of people who are searching for something more in life. In John chapter 3, we meet a religious person. They've been engaged in church and religion and spirituality their entire life. But deep down, they're still searching for something more. And this religious man, his name is Nicodemus, comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, 2. And he says, like, I am searching for something more. I got the church. I got the Bible. I've done the the stuff. I've gone to the kids musical. But like for me personally, man, when I lay down at night, I just feel like there's more. I'm looking for more. And it says he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, I know that you're a teacher who's come from God for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God weren't with him. But he asked, is there something more? Like, can you really help me? Can you help me? A religious person who's grown up in church all their life but doesn't feel close to you, can you help me? In John chapter 4, we meet what I would refer to as a very worldly, ragged person. This person has been beat to death Just by life, by stress, we find out she's been married and divorced five times. She's now living with a man who's probably providing for her and her children, but they're not married. You can understand her hesitation of wanting to be married again. She meets Jesus in the middle of the day. She's out doing an errand that was only done in the extreme morning or the extreme evening because it was too hot to do in the middle of the day. She was in the middle of the day doing it. Why? Because she was an outcast. She lived in solitude. She was lonely. She was broken. And Jesus comes to her, and she says what everyone at some point in their life says, listen, I'm looking for something more. I just don't know where to find it. In John chapter 4, the woman talks to Jesus. He says, I can help you. And she said, listen, I know that Messiah which is the Hebrew word for Savior, called Christ, which is the Greek word for Savior. I know a Savior is coming. I know help is coming from somewhere, and when He comes, He'll explain everything to us. I know there's something more for me in this life than marriage and divorce five times over and probably going on six. I know there's more for me than being isolated from every friend and family member that I have. I know there's more for me than feeling ashamed every day of my life. I know there's more somewhere, I just don't know how to find it. Nicodemus said, I go to church and I search for God, but I just don't feel like it's connected with me. This lady said, I've just been living life and I, and I feel lonely. And man, what I find most interesting, which really I think sometimes we sanitize the Bible and try to make people in the Bible seem like they're much more spiritual than we are. We see a religious person wondering if there's something more. We see kind of a worldly person who's been beaten down by the world wondering if there's something more. And then we see one of Jesus' former best friends. His name's John the Baptist. He's the man who baptized Jesus, wondering at a discouraging moment in his life if Jesus is really the answer. Now listen, John's purpose in life was to tell people Jesus was the answer. And he did that. But in his quiet moments, this would be like the preacher who goes home after telling everyone about Jesus, and in the quiet moments of his life, wonders, is he real? Like, does he really help people? Can he really help me? You know, I know I was born to tell people about Jesus, but at the end of the day, can Jesus help me? And in Matthew chapter 11, we find one of the most honest verses in the Bible, John the Baptist, who was born and raised to tell people about Jesus. He was in prison, was discouraged, life wasn't going well. It said, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples. Those were some of his closest friends. And he said, go ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Go ask Jesus. The Jesus that I told everyone was the Savior, go ask him. Like, is it really you? Can you really help me? See, people are searching. This time of year, every day of life, people are searching for something more. Let me ask you a question. What are you searching for? Like, what would be the greatest Christmas gift that someone could give you? To keep your job? To pay off your debt? To have a child who's been away from God come back? Or to have a child who's been struggling at school come back? Or to have a relative who's sick and dying be healthy? Or to have the conflict in your marriage finally go away? Or to maybe get the job you've been... so Like, what are, you, what are you searching for? Would you believe that your search could be ended through a child. You know, I know we set out a hundred more chairs today than we normally do. Why? Because you all came today to see some child. Some of you who have never been before, you may never come again, came because a daughter or a son or a granddaughter or a grandson or a niece or a nephew or a neighbor or some little kid got you to church today. Could you believe that maybe God used some little kid Son or daughter, niece or nephew, grandson, granddaughter, great, great, grandson, great, granddaughter, godson, goddaughter. Could you believe that maybe God used that child to get you here just so that he could tell you that what you're searching for could be found in him? And he loves you and he could help you? See, when we look at the big rescue, we find out that people are on a big search. And you say, you know, Christian, I just, man, I, I just, like, I hear what you're saying. I just don't know that I believe it. And you know, it's interesting because there is this, there's this word in Christianity, it's really a word that's in religion, that talks about believing something that you're not sure if you believe. And the word is faith. And I'm, I'm going to use a term that really isn't even accurate biblically because the big rescue, to, to be rescued, I'm going to say you have to have big faith, but the term big faith is actually misleading because your faith doesn't have to be big. As a matter of fact, faith, according to the Bible, does not... Begin big. You know, last week we had a guest speaker. His name was Clayton King. He was awesome. If you weren't here, I hope you can go on to our website later and watch his message. But he, he and I were talking about faith one time, and I was just talking to him about the fears that I have about planning a church. And, find, you know, we're, we're talking to realtors all the time about land and buildings and the next steps of our church moving forward. And I just said, you know, I don't know what to do. And a lot of, a lot of forward momentum kind of scares me. I said, I don't feel like my faith is very strong. And he said, Christian, your faith is not found. He said, faith is built. One step, one decision at a time. And he said, when you've taken enough very little steps of faith, all of a sudden you you look back and you say, you know what? My faith has grown. We're not given big faith. We have the ability to grow big faith by starting small and growing over time. As a matter of fact, when we read the Bible, the Bible talks about that just... A little bit of faith is enough. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. If you don't know how little a mustard seed is, it's about the size. If you had a pen and you put a dot on a piece of paper with a pen, that's about the size of a mustard seed. I was in Israel in April. They sell little bags of mustard seeds. And I mean, they are microscopic. You can barely hold one in your hand. Jesus said, if you have like hardly any faith at all, I can start there. In Mark 9, 24, a dad said, I, I believe like I want to believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He was very honest and said, I'd like to have faith, but I, I don't think I have enough. Jesus said, I can, I can use that. In Matthew 18, 2 and 3, it says he called a little child to him and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, we, we kind of know what that means after today, right? We, we've watched them live out their faith. Unless you become like one of them, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, what, is, what does that mean? That means unless sometimes you just believe in something bigger than yourself And you just trust it even though you can't prove it Jesus said you'll never have the rescue that that you need to have You know we're entering a season where more than two billion people around the world Will celebrate christmas in in about two and a half weeks Uh, And I am one of them and I can't wait Uh, You may be like me I love christmas I mean I absolutely love christmas like I am like clark griswold And Christmas, I love Christmas, I love Christmas lights, I love putting them up, I like driving around and looking at them, I love Christmas music, I listen to it all month long, I love Christmas cookies, um, like the frosted kind with the little, with like the little red cinnamon things, for any of you who make those, I mean your pastor would love some cookies from you at Christmas, I love Christmas cookies. I love the time off from school and work. My mom and dad were both educators, so Christmas break was a family occasion for us. I, I, love, I love Christmas break, which they now call winter break or winter solstice or what it, you know, whatever it is. I love it. I don't care what they call it. I love it. Um, I love kids' musicals and school musicals. I love decorating the Christmas tree. I like to put antlers on my dog. I mean, I, I, love, I love Christmas, right? I love, I love Christmas. But more than loving Christmas... I love the spiritual rescue that Christmas represents. Uh, Found in the great words of of that hymn, Amazing Grace. You see, Christmas for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was was this thought. I, I once was lost. I separated. I once needed to be rescued, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Why? All because of Christmas. That's why Christmas is... One of the pinnacle moments in the history of the world because since the very beginning of the world, we needed to be rescued. We were trapped under the ice or in a tree or in a mine or however you can picture needing to be rescued, we were trapped. And in Genesis 3, God said, I'm going to fix this. A woman one day will have a baby, and I will fix this through that baby. You know, this month at our church is going to be an incredible month. We're going to study Christmas, not just talk about it, study it all month long. Next week, I have a Bible study called The Big Prediction. We're going to see that thousands of years before Jesus was born, God said, let me prove to you who He is. I'm going to show you when He'll be born, where He'll be born, what time He'll be born, what's going to be going on in the world when He's born. I mean, amazing predictions about this baby that would be born. December 23rd, we're going to look at the big announcement. We're going to find out since the day Jesus was born, the only way that anyone hears about Jesus is if someone tells them. And we're going to find out that our responsibility as Christians is to tell, to talk about Jesus, to maybe invite people like the angels told the shepherds, come and see him. Maybe we need to be some angels to some shepherds and tell people, come see Jesus. And then I'm so excited because on December 24th, we're having our Christmas Eve service. That's a Monday night at 5 p.m. For the first time in the history of our church, we're going to have a family service. If you have kids, age, kindergarten, age, and up, uh, we're going to have a family communion service together. It'll be about an hour. We'll come sing some Christmas carols. But the highlight of that will be when your family gets to um, come forward and take communion together as a family and to remember what rescue and... Uh, the body and blood of jesus mean kind kind of a combination of christmas and easter at the same time it's gonna be awesome this month is going to be awesome but this day could be awesome for you if you need to be rescued and maybe you've been hiding from god and maybe the only thing that got you out of hiding was a little kid who asked you to come watch him sing and now that you're here and now that god's got your attention he's dropping a rope In front of you saying I can rescue you Today whether you're religious But feel far from God Whether you've lived a hard life in the world You desire to be close to God But you just don't know how that works Whether you used to be really close to Jesus But now you've gone through a time of doubting And discouragement that's left you wondering Today With like the smallest amount of faith Childlike faith Your big rescue Can happen Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes as as we get ready to close in prayer this morning? And God, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and we thank you for Christmas, the Christmas season. We thank you for what it means and how it works. We thank you for the kids who, Lord, really, they they didn't just entertain us. They ministered to us. God is a dad. um, I thought about how often conversations with my kids wait. Because a text or a tweet or a facebook Lord, that really convicted me just as a dad These kids ministered to me. They didn't entertain me. They ministered to me And god, I pray that as a church in the midst of all this christmas stuff, which is so fun That you'll help us to remember the baby That was on a rescue mission And that you'll help us to understand the theology of christmas what we can know about god from the mission of the Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here today, and maybe you would consider yourself religious, but needing more like Nicodemus. Whether you would consider yourself beaten down by the world, and you'd love a rescue, but you just don't know how it's ever going to happen for you. Whether you would consider yourself a former, very close friend of Jesus but you've doubted recently, today your rescue can happen. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, the greatest gift that has ever been given to the world was the gift of forgiveness and restoration, the gift of rescue from God to humanity so we could be close to Him again, so we wouldn't have to run and hide anymore. Today that gift is available for you, not gift wrapped under a tree, but in your heart and in your head through faith the smallest amount of belief that you can have. And if you're in here today and you've not been reconnected to God, you've not been rescued by God, but you want to be. If you're in here today and you wouldn't call yourself a friend of Jesus, you don't feel forgiven, you don't feel like you have a second chance, and maybe today is the day of your rescue. If that's you today, I'm going to say a prayer today that the Bible says through these words, through faith, Your life can be reunited to a God that loves you. Send his son a baby so that your life could be renewed, restarted. And if today you need Jesus in your life, you need to be close to God, And I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me. You don't have to say it out loud. No one in this room has to know you're praying it but you. But God is listening today to the prayers of your heart. He desperately wants your attention so he can say, I love you and I've got a way to help you today if you want to draw near to God and you've never done that before then I want you to pray these words just in your heart, you don't even have to move your lips, just pray them in your heart and in your head with the most amount of faith you can muster today, dear God today I need rescued spiritually today I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of the things that I have done wrong And to right now, by faith, commit my life to you forever. Forgive me today. Change me from the inside out as I live my life. And help me to live with a new purpose as I move forward. Now if you're in here today and you just prayed that God would rescue you and connect your life to his. You've never done that before. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please, nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand up so that I can know today the decision that you made so that I can just rejoice with you? Yes. Anybody else? You just raise it and put it back down. Yes. Anyone else? If you get it just a little bit above your head, I'll, I'll see you and thank God for you. God, thank you for these here today that have reached out and said, God, today I need to reconnect with you. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll be with those of us who are here who are listening, who are one one day going to watch on the internet. Help us to be aware of people in our life that need to be rescued. Help us to reach out to them this Christmas season to let them know about the baby sent on a rescue mission to change their life forever. I love you. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said together, amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do before we leave.